Hello and welcome to another IPO podcast. Uh, I'm Chris Smith, not your usual host Gary Townley, but uh, you'll have to bear with me today. Um, let's get the formalities out of the way. We're the Intellectual Property Office. It's the government body who deal with IP rights in the UK. Okay, so intellectual property rights deal with, include patents, trademarks, designs and copyright. And you can find us online at www.gov.uk forward slash IPO. So have a little nosy on there. I'm Chris Smith, as I mentioned. You've listened to me before, apologies for that, on one of our podcasts called Trademarks, Patents, Copyright and Designs, Your Common Questions Answered. As I mentioned, I'm filling in for Gary today as he's out and about on the road with his uh, business outreach duties. Um, But a bit of background for me, just to highlight in case you didn't listen to the previous one, which you should. Um, I started at the office as a patent examiner before joining the business outreach team and now now working in the um, the innovation policy team on higher education policy. So that's my background, that's what I'm doing at the moment. But that's not necessarily why we're here today. We're here to talk about Orphan Works. And this is why I'm joined by Margaret Haig, our Head of Copyright Strategy. Margaret, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me here to talk about Orphan Works today. So, uh, yes, I'm Margaret Haig. I am responsible in the office for the Orphan Works licensing scheme, which the IPO runs. Um, I've worked for the IPO for nigh on three years, and I've been working on Orphan Works all that time. Um, So I work in the copyright uh, area of the office. It's an absolutely fascinating area. I think we're going to get into some really kind of tricky areas, potentially, but Hopefully, we'll try and simplify it for everyone and we'll make it a bit more comprehensible. Fantastic. That's the aim of the game today. Excellent. So, thank you, Margaret. Um, my personal experience with Orphan Works um, was in a business outreach team. When it first launched in October 2014, I was one of those guys who had to go out and explain it to everyone and hope that they understood how it all worked and what the purpose <laughs> of it was. So, hopefully, we can clarify that and with a bit more expertise today. So, fantastic. Um, I know there has been some previous interest in orphan works in relating to family history, particularly with the popularity of uh, genealogy and programmes like Who Do You Think You Are? Um, So just with this background in mind, I think probably first things first is explain what is orphan works and I suppose why is it so relevant for things like Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah, it's a really good question. An orphan work is a copyright work, so any sort of work. It could be a film, it could be a diary, it could be a piece of music, um, where you don't know who the rights holder is or you can't find them. And so if that's the case, in theory, you shouldn't use the work except for a limited number of um, copyright exceptions, so if it's for educational use and so on. But otherwise, if you wanted to commercially use it or potentially even non-commercially, you would, in theory, need the uh, permission of the rights holder. Before 2014, you weren't able to do that. So we put some legislation in place and um, set up a scheme, uh, which is what we're talking about today, and enable you to use those works, uh, whether it be for commercial or non-commercial use. Um, And it's really relevant to family history quite a lot. If you think about it, you go home um, to your parents maybe and you want to find out about your grandparents. So they give you some photos, maybe the wedding photo, maybe um, a photo of someone in service uniform, something like that. 
who owns the copyright in that photo? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, maybe they've got diaries. Maybe they've got love letters that um, were written between uh, 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 some ancestors. Maybe they've got paintings painted by um, one of your ancestors. So it can come up a lot, copyright issues. Um, and whether or not those uh, items are still in copyright, that's the first question that they would need to ask themselves. But then if it is still in copyright we provide a service so that people can then reuse those works. Well, we've got a really good example, actually, <clears throat> uh, of a lady who wanted to um, illustrate a book that her great uncle had written. The, the only copy they had, the family had somehow lost the copy that they originally had. So the only copy they had access to was in the British Library. And because they didn't know who the rights holder was now, it wasn't completely clear. They came to us for a license um, and were able to get a license just to illustrate the book, just for family use. So it's not, you know, something that is necessarily national and public, um, but even for very private things, just really understanding your family history better. Oh, excellent. Fantastic. That's a good overview. Um, so when you, you, you mentioned all these different bits of copyright that might have relevant, I mean, why would you mention a, a great scenario there, the British Library might have ownership of certain aspects, but if I find some photos in my attic, why do I have to consider copyright? Sure. It is a tricky thing. Copyright um, has developed over the centuries, really. And sometimes it has developed when there's been new advances in technology. So, for example, um, an unpublished work, because it's unpublished in UK law, it will be protected for either 70 years after the death of the creator or until uh, the year 2039, whichever is the um, longer. So um, for things which were in copyright, uh, unpublished works like diaries, letters from, you know, the 18th, 19th century. So you might have them in your family history. Um, they will still be protected by copyright. So um, rather than have to go to extreme lengths to try and find who the rights holder is now, you can do a reasonable search for that rights holder, come to us and get a license. That's really why we brought it into play partly for those unpublished works but also with photographs you think maybe they're so old they're not protected well you just have to be careful we have some guidance um, on our website which helps you understand whether things are still in copyright or not um, go through those steps and if it is still protected by copyright for any reason then you can come to us excellent and just to clarify that guidance i mentioned the website earlier gov.uk forward slash ipo yes if you go to that you can go to the copyrights copyright um copyright link at the top of the page or near the top of the page you should be able to find we mentioned exceptions to copyright earlier you should be mm -hmm. able to find a list of the exceptions and a brief explanation of, as to how they all work as well as all this information as well so if any bits of these are kind of confusing in 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 the aspects of it have a look on the website have a look there and find out the extra information there so brilliant um good background okay so why so um, you've mentioned you mentioned this in the kind of the entirety or the generalized station or aspect why should a or why and when should a listener look at using the orphan works scheme okay so um maybe they've done a search already they they have looked in certain places maybe done <clears throat> an internet search maybe looked at um will records um through the probate service um and they think oh i don't know who the rights holder is to this particular item i'm pretty sure it's still protected by copyright 
they would then um, be able to complete an application with us. We would check their search to see whether they've searched in all the sort of obvious places. Now, if it's a piece of music, then they might want to check some of the musical sources that we provide. If it's a photograph, there'll be different sources because photographs, um, photographic societies, for example, might have records of certain photographers. Um, or if it's a book, you would look for, if it's a newish book, you'd look for the ISBN number and see if you can search through that. So there's lots of different types of sources that you would look at for different types of works. So that's why you come to us, there's diligent search guidance. And then if you've gone through that and you still can't find the rights holder, we may be able to grant you a license for whatever it is you want to do. We'll charge you for that. There is a charge attached to all of this. Um, but there's so much guidance there that we know, actually know of examples of people not being able to find the rights holder, then using our diligent search guidance and actually finding the rights holder. So we've actually kind of, they haven't needed to use our scheme at all. They've just actually found the rights holder and been able to negotiate with them oh fantastic so is it always going to be i know who it is but i literally cannot find them so i've got the name yeah i've got this name i know this is the person who owns it but for the life of me i can't find who this person yes. is or where they've gone maybe they've changed their name yeah perhaps they've died unfortunately or perhaps they've passed the rights on to someone else yeah as opposed to the whole scenario of i've got this picture but i'm the foggiest even the name of the person who is. took it Would or... both of these yeah use orphan works all of those are orphan works so there's lots of different examples you could have rights holders who are somewhere else in the world it's not just uk rights holders we could we've had people who have looked for rights holders in africa also in um, north america so it's anywhere um, and sometimes you'll have what we call partial orphans it's really where there's more than one rights holder in a work so maybe two people created a piece of music a singer and a um, guitarist let's say um, and they just created a tape of it in their own bedroom there's two creators so there's two holders of copyright you know who the singer is you've got their permission to use it you don't know who the guitarist is or you do know who the guitarist is and you can't find them so that's a partial orphan so it's any situation where you can't find them or you don't know who they are okay excellent fantastic and that clears that up nicely who uses this license? Is it literally anyone? I mean, we've mentioned a scenario for who do you think you are and, mm. and genealogy, but, you know, obviously it's not just for those things. It could be for anything. Is it commercial, Absolutely. non-commercial, anything? It's literally anything. Um, so uh, we actually grant licenses for any use of any copyright work. Now, that is quite a wide <laughs> um, uh, possibility <laughs> of, of uses. So what we've done is we've put um, uses on our system which are the most common. So things like reproducing a picture in a book or on a website or a non-commercial use is a general license that we, that we issue or um, using a piece of music on advertising or on a CD. So anything which is kind of relatively straightforward, they're all on the system. If you think of a potential use which we haven't got on the system, you can contact us and let us know and we'll do some research and try and find out a price for you. But yeah, it's literally anything and anyone can apply. So we've had individuals, like the example I mentioned with the family history, but we also have organisations. So museums, galleries, um, we've had businesses, production companies, we've had uh, applications for all types of work. So books, poems, song lyrics. Uh, we've had applications for lots of photographs, which are being used for anniversaries. So things like 100 years since the First World War. Um, and we've got 
all sorts of things. And people can actually look and see what people have applied for in the past. We have a register which is actually publicly available. So have a look and get some inspiration. Okay, excellent. So I suppose linked on for that, people might be concerned about, right, so if I'm paying a licence for this and I'm just wanting to use it for my wedding photos, Mm -hmm. how much am I going to be paying for this? Because obviously we, you know, they, they might not want to be paying through the nose, you know? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. How how do we figure out how much everything should be? Yeah. Well, there's no secret to to how much they'll um, have to pay. It's all upfront in terms of information. So we have an application fee. So you can apply for up to 30 works at any one time. It starts at £20 for one work and then goes up in intervals and is a maximum of £80 for an application for 30 works. But within that application, you could have as many uses as you like. So if you found, say, 10 photos that you wanted to use in your wedding, is the example you were just using. So let's say you wanted a couple on the invitations, you wanted some on the table um, uh, place settings, you wanted some in a big blown up poster version um, to have at the door of the reception something like that so you've got different uses but maybe the same photograph um you could actually come to us and apply for all those different uses in one application so you'd sort of minimize your application costs that way do i have to tell you what i'm going to be using it would i have to tell you it's just blow up it's also in the invitation yeah you have to add every single use that you want onto that application um and you will be able to find out how much that will cost so you'll pay the application fee up front right, okay. when it's when you've kind of so decided what your application is. Quid, is. I have to pay full stop. Yes. Okay. And then um, when you set your uses, it will tell you, well, this will cost you um, X pounds plus VAT and this will cost you a bit less than that. This use will cost a bit more. So you can decide and play around with the system so that you can actually decide what you want to do and how. So if it's too much for your budget to blow it up to big A1 poster size, then you might just keep it as an A4 size. Um, If you wanted to have a piece of music and you wanted to maybe use just half the song rather than the whole song, we would be able to incorporate that because you could specify how much of the song you wanted. So any application, you can play around with it, you can save it, It's you don't have to do it all in one go, and then work out what you want to go ahead with and then pay the application fee. Excellent. Okay, that makes perfect sense. I suppose the next follow-on question from that though is, okay, so there's an application fee, there's a licence fee, mm-hmm. what happens to all this money? Yeah, so the application fee is uh, for the IPO's costs, that's for our costs, checking your diligent search, checking that the application is right, that you've got the right licensee name in it, all of those kind of things. It's very similar to what we would do in terms of examining a trademark or examining a patent for people who are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. So that's to cover our running costs, the application fee. Now the license fee, so what you're actually going to do with the item, we will actually hold mm. that in a separate account in case the rights holder ever turns up so we are declaring that by the fact that we're issuing a license means that we agree that this is an orphan work now one day let's say the person sees their work being used somewhere and they say hold on a minute that's mine you should have paid me for that it means we'll be able to pass over that money to the rights holder when they turn up and we'll hold on to that for eight years 
So that's okay. a pretty long period of time. The The license will last for a maximum of seven years. We'll hold on to the money for eight years. And then if it's not paid out at the end of the eight years, we will basically use that money to um, cover the costs for setting up this scheme. And then after that, use it for sort of social, educational, cultural purposes. Okay. Um, so it would be a decision eight years down so the line. Split into a separate kind of pot that we'd use exactly for that reason. Yeah, oh, and okay. we don't we don't use it for anything else. It's all separately accounted for. Okay, excellent. And again, great links up here. Um, if I'm the owner, mm. if I'm the artist, if I'm the creator, you've kept it for eight years. Fantastic. How the devil do I find out that you've got my money? Yeah. So we have a public register which shows all of the applications that we've received, all of the licenses that we've issued and any licenses that we might have refused or ones which were withdrawn because we sometimes um, people get reunited with the rights holder. So they withdraw the application. Um, basically, people, anyone can search on the register. It lists all of the works. Um, for visual art, it also has a small thumbnail um, of the image so that people can actually see what we're talking yeah. about. Um, and then for other works, it's just a, a, a description of the work. So if they think they know who the rights holder is or they are the rights holder, they can contact us. There's a contact form on the register um, and we'll do the work to establish that we're happy that they are the rights holder and then pay the money. Seems relatively easy. So relatively quick to search, relatively quick to find out. Yeah, very easy to search. It's it's like a standard search on the internet. You just put in a keyword, you can filter it and so on. Brilliant. And you can look at all of the works that have been licensed out yes. and then find out if any of them are yours. Ideally yes. through that thumbnail. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, on the side, actually, I did do some searching before I came through mm. here and I looked on our website. Um and I noticed uh, the EU Directive on Orphan Works. Mm. Is that the same as our No, it's works? not. And I don't want to confuse everyone, but it is good that you raise it uh, and so people are aware of it. So hopefully some of our listeners might be from cultural heritage institutions. Um, they can use the Orphan Works Directive. So it's not aimed at individuals. It's aimed at cultural heritage institutions. So museums, galleries, right. archives... Yeah. Um, film heritage institutions, those kind of people, if they're running specific digitization projects of copyright works, um, they can use the Orphan Works Directive to um, uh, register them on a separate database. So not our register, it's an EU level register. It's for free, so they don't have to pay no. any charges. Um, and then they can digitise those works and put them on their website. So a good example would be the British Film Institute are running an amazing project. I really recommend people go and uh, have a look. Um, and it's called Unlocking Film Heritage and Britain on Film. And you can see these amazing, really old films, quite, sometimes quite short, you know, five minutes, ten minutes. Um, and they have put them online just for people to see because it's part of our national cultural heritage. Um, and they have been able to use the Orphan Works Directive because they couldn't find the rights holders um, and it's listed on a, another database as I say so if the rights holder does come forward um, they can be reunited again um, so it's a similar process but the directive is specifically for cultural heritage institutions but if you're in any doubt as to whether you actually qualify we've got a short questionnaire which helps you through the process again that's on our website and that's for the EU directive yes yeah, fantastic so kind of orphan works as far as the UK is concerned is for Anything, any and all copyright, any and all usage. Yes. As long as it, you can't bind the owner type of thing. Yeah. Whereas it's EU copyright uh, directive. 
It's just for the specific use. Just yeah. for the specific yeah. use. Okay. Um, but it's that... worth saying, actually, that, that the the EU directive covers people for these digitisation projects across the whole EU. For the UK scheme that we're talking about, when we issue licences, we can only issue licence for the UK. Right. Oh, okay, yeah. So we can't issue it for the whole of the EU or for any other country. And we have had a couple of people who were a bit disappointed that they couldn't have a licence for um, America or for various other... Um, countries but we have to restrict it to the uk okay so but yeah but the copyright itself the art the piece of work itself yeah. could have come from any country yes exactly but we can only give them a license yes. in the uk yes okay that makes perfect sense yeah and we've had an example of that uh, um the department for culture media and sport were commemorating the 100 years anniversary of the Gallipoli campaign in the First World War and they wanted to read some poems by an Australian poet who had written at the time because obviously there were a lot of Australian forces at the um, Gallipoli campaign and they searched for the rights holder, couldn't find the rights holder in Australia um, and so came to us and they ended up using those poems in the um, commemorations in Whitehall in London um, so we were able to issue a license for a rights holder from overseas for use in the UK. Oh, brilliant. So it's for, for anyone? Yep. Brilliant. What about its actual use? How, you know, how much are we seeing? It's, it's been here since October 2014, mm-hmm. so it's been a few years. Yep. We should clearly have an idea of how it's being used, yeah. when it's being used. Yeah. So we've had um, over 80 applications since October 2014, and that covers over 450 works, individual copyright works. Now, you know, we hope for more applications. I'd love our listeners to make more applications um, and think about all the creative ways they could use um, copyright works Um, which are orphan at the moment so as I said it can be commercial or non-commercial you could we've got some uses which cover video games so if you had an idea for a video game and you wanted to um, use an orphan book as your plot we can do that we can um, help people kind of create all sorts of new types of work so um, I'd really encourage them to come forward and actually talk to us if they're not sure as well. Um, there are contact details on the website which we cool. can actually um, get back to them if it's a new kind of use or they're just not sure whether it's an orphan or not, we can help. Okay, so the contact details are on the website. Yes. So Do you have them now? Yeah, it's um, the website is www.gov.uk slash IPO and then you can search by clicking through copyright and then orphan works or just search for orphan works on gov.uk and then pretty much on all the pages you'll get through to the contact details um, of uh, of the office. Okay, so yeah, so fantastic. You can go through that route online. Um, alternatively, you can phone our helpline number and they should be able to get you through as well. So that's 0300 300 2000. Or you can email them if you'd rather at information at ipo.gov.uk. Um, if you'd learn, if, if you'd learn, if you'd like to learn more about copyright and licensing, however, we do have, or any other form of IP for that matter, uh, we do have our IP Equip and IP Health Check tools online that you can you can use to learn the basics of IP, for example, or answer short questionnaires about licensing or copyright themselves. So get a bit of a be- better background of all of these aspects to kind of put this orphan works into context for you potentially. Um, so, if there's anything else, Margaret, no, I think we're good. Everything's good. Everything's smashing. Hopefully, that's all been perfectly clear for you uh, for the, for you listeners out there. Um, thank you for listening. Thanks for 
for tuning in. Um, I'm Chris Smith. Thanks for listening to the IPO podcast. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. <laughs>